On this episode, we journey into the imagination of Seth Kaberski, co-author of the unofficial guide series to Universal Orlando, Disneyland, Vegas, and Disney World. Today is April 20th, 2021, and this is episode 349 of the Main Street Magic Podcast. Most everyone's mad here. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of Main Street Magic. I am your host, Jeremy Stein, and as always, I'm joined by my lovely wife, Rhonda. Hey guys! Make sure you check us out on the web at MainSTMagic.com, as well as follow on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MainSTMagic. If you've not done so already, head on out to Facebook and search for the Main Street Magic community and ask to join. And if you go ahead and hit that subscribe button, you will get brand new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. But if you want even more content, including in-park, resort, and at-home live streams, 15% off of Main Street Magic merchandise, and a whole lot more, check out our Patreon group at wonderlandcrew.com. And if you want the absolute best in theme park-inspired coffees, teas, and merchandise, head to expeditionroasters.com and use code MSM15 at checkout to save 15% off your entire order. And if you're looking to plan your next vacation, whether it's to Disney, Universal, or beyond, you want to head to msmears.com and learn more about our wonderful travel partner, Melissa Pilgrim. You can fill out a form there and get a free quote on your next vacation. And if you go ahead and book through Melissa, it's at no additional cost to you. We have such an amazing guest on today's show. Uh, Seth Kaberski is an author, an artist, culture commentator who's currently based in Orlando, Florida. As a native of northern New Jersey, Seth has worked for over 20 years as a travel journalist, arts and culture critic, event producer, theatrical director, stage technician, and performer along the East Coast and across the United States. Seth also serves as co-author of the incredibly informative and amazingly well done unofficial guide series which includes universal orlando disneyland vegas and they also have one for walt disney world uh, today we're going to learn a little bit more about seth and how he got started as well as get his ultimate tips for navigating universal studios orlando well, Seth, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I know we have uh, connected through Twitter, uh, and you were nice enough to send us your incredible uh, unofficial guide to Universal Orlando 2021 that we're going to get into in just a bit, but welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great talking to you. Uh, it's it's good to know that social media can do good for a change. Yes, yes. yeah, and, and and that's something I I think definitely in the Disney community, it's nice to see uh, many of us that are focusing on the the positive and the good in yep. social media. So, um, one thing I did want to start out and talk to you about is you know your uh, going through your bio is so impressive because you're a writer, you're a producer, you're a stage technician, you're a performer. Um, you know, you're I occasionally a wash critic. windows. Yeah, it sounds. <laughs> like it like where did where did you get this start in in kind of love for the entertainment business because it obviously uh stretches out beyond just theme parks uh, you know i uh i got into theater when i was a kid in uh middle school first uh in, in music i was a, a trumpet player and i got into playing in pit bands uh, pit orchestras for musicals uh, and I was just fascinated by it and, and got into theater through high school and then ended up uh, doing it in college. But it's always tied into my love of uh, you know, movies. I, you know, I was one of those kids who saw Star Wars uh, at, at the perfect age in yeah. the movie theater and, uh, you know, seeing revivals of old Disney films like 
Fantasia. It's one of my first memories as a kid seeing that in the theater. Um, and then, you know, everything from like the Muppet show on TV, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a child of the late seventies and the, yeah. and the eighties. Um, and so much of that was, you know, the pop culture at the time, mm -hmm. um, just, you know, made you excited about all these possibilities of like fantasy and science fiction and, um, all this imaginative stuff, uh, was really just kind of in the air at that time. And I grew up on it. And, uh, and I also grew up with a fascination with the Disney parks because I was living in New Jersey. And that was like a once every five years kind of family trip, maybe. Yeah. So because it was so rare, I would, you know, hang on to those memories and collect every, you know, park map or bit of ephemera or go to the public library and take out books about theme parks. And, wow. um, you know, just, was kind of obsessed with it because it wasn't something I could go to every day. And then when I finally grew up and, you know, what are you going to do for a living? Well, might as well move on down to Orlando. Wow. Nice. That's, that's awesome. So what were, if you were going to Disney, just say every couple of years, every five years, what mm -hmm. types of theme parks did you grow up with up in uh, the New Jersey area? Oh, what was available well, so to you? In New Jersey, we had Six Flags Great Adventure, uh -huh. um, which uh, was, uh, you know, an hour and a half or so from, from my parents' house. And uh, that would be like the occasional school trip, either that or, or Hershey Park, uh, yes. you might go. Yes. And that was like the roller coasters that I was pretty much too scared to go on yeah. as a kid. Uh, but the parks that really fascinated me in New Jersey, uh, there were a couple. One was called Fairytale Forest, and the other was called the Land of Make-Believe. And uh, awesome. Land of Make-Believe still exists in some form. Fairytale Forest is long, long gone. But these were kind of like uh, non-corporate family-owned little parks, uh, very handmade. Um, by today's standards, you'd think they were they were kind of janky. Um, <laughs> but there is, you know, um, I remember uh, the Land of Make-Believe had a scarecrow that would talk to you because it was, you know, it was just a microphone and a speaker and some person hiding in a booth yeah. somewhere nearby. But as a kid, that was just the ama most amazing thing to be able to talk mm -hmm. to a scarecrow. Yeah. Um, and, you know, little uh, haunted houses in the neighborhood and, you know, even Christmas light displays, uh, you know, the, the house at the top of the hill in my neighborhood put on one of these displays that people from all over town would come and, and park in our neighborhood to see every year and, and watching those, you know, even though there were very low grade animatronics, uh, watching those animatronics was just fascinating to me. That's, That's so cool. Awesome. Um, so w when did you move to Orlando? Uh, I graduated college in 1996, and uh, a few weeks later, threw everything I owned in a truck and just drove wow. down to Orlando. had had the address of a possible apartment complex to live in written down. There was really like we had the internet, but it was dial-up, yeah. so it was, you did it research through the phone book. <laughs> and I I I ended up living in Kissimmee because uh, in the unofficial guide to Walt Disney World, which I was a, a fan of back then, a, a reader. Uh, it mentioned that Kissimmee was actually closer to Walt Disney World than Orlando. Yeah. So I figured I'll live in Kissimmee and literally just drove into the first apartment complex that I had I had written down. And they said, all right, we'll, we'll rent you a place. And wow. that's how I found myself living here. That's quite wow. the story. You but... you could do that back in the 90s. I would not recommend that. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, yes. Agree with you there. <laughs> now, Seth, is this what led you to be a part of the Unofficial Guide series? Uh, in a very long roundabout way, <laughs> like um, I will say, you know, the, the unofficial guide series was one of those books that I would I would take out of the library or uh, when I was a little older, I would save my allowance and buy a copy every year, even though I knew there was no chance of me going to Disney World that year. Oh. 
Um, and I would actually like write down virtual touring plans for theoretical family vacations that wow. I knew my family couldn't afford to have. Um, so that's, yeah, obsessiveness at, you know, like age 14, 15. <laughs> that's very but, that's um, awesome, you know, once I, I moved down to Orlando, uh, I thought I would get a job working for Disney. I had a degree in theater and uh, I was into working backstage and I, I thought it would be easy to get a job and discovered that working for Disney, at least back then, took a lot of interviews, wow. round after round of interviews. And uh, while I was waiting to hear back from Disney, I walked into Universal's uh, hiring department one day and they hired me on the spot. <laughs> Pretty, uh, not wow. many questions asked. They made me take a little test and, uh, and that was it. I had a job working for Ghostbusters. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Um, so uh, I actually Universal? never ended up working for Disney, even though that wow. was kind of my lifelong dream. I, uh -huh. I spent a few years at Universal on Ghostbusters. And when that closed, I did the Terminator show, the Barney show, uh, Halloween Horror Nights, Mardi Gras, you name it. Wow, um, that's awesome. And uh, I got I was there at a really cool time because I started working at Universal when it was only Universal Studios mm -hmm. Florida, okay. where, you know, the what City Walk today was the parking lot. Yeah, um, wow. and I was there for the announcement that that all this change would take place, and I watched them build City Walk. Um, I watched building Islands of Adventure. I got to walk around Islands of Adventure when when it was still mud streets, and uh, you know, seeing the steel going up, and uh, getting to ride like Spider Man as an employee, testing it, you know, oh. weeks before it opened to the public. It's pretty amazing, um, yes. and it, I. I, I I had a good run, and then after they opened Islands of Adventure, um, Islands of Adventure did not initially do as well as they hoped. They thought uh, it would, you know, they were going to defeat Disney. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they got a, a good attendance that first summer, but there was a lot of confusion over the marketing. Uh, uh, we can have a long conversation about Universal Studios Escape and what the heck they were thinking with that name. Uh, <laughs> but part of the fallout was a, a lot of people... Um, uh, who helped open Islands of Adventure actually wound up getting cut not long after it opened. Oh, wow. So by, you know, by 2000, I was uh, moving on from the theme parks and uh, had a really weird career in IT for 10 years working for local governments. Um, and uh, after that detour, then I, I came back into theme parks as a writer. Um, and, uh, you know, I have a lot of people to thank for that. Jim Hill is one of them. Yeah. Um, he uh, he helped me out early on, um, letting me uh, be a guest writer on his blog. Um, and that introduced me to um, my first publisher and eventually to the unofficial guides. Wow. Well, yeah. what what I think is so cool about the unofficial guides, you know, we're in obviously the age where Internet is king, you know, mm -hmm. and, and things obviously change on the fly. But I have I've I bought the let's see it probably would have been back in maybe seventeen um, I bought the the unofficial guide to Walt Disney World and I remember just was like you know what I'm gonna check this thing out and we were actually uh, had just started the podcast and I was interested in, in talking to Lynn and so I was like well let me mm -hmm. buy this and let me look at it and in an age where the internet can often be where people turn to this thing is so chock full of info and it's so easy to go through it's mm -hmm. so easy to find and it's laid out in such a way. That I would rather look at this than scroll through who knows how many pages of a website, you know? It, it, it's really good to hear you say that because 
you know, when the unofficial guide started in the late 80s, you know, that you couldn't just turn to the Internet right. and find all this information. Um, and so it was, you know, we sort of created this whole genre of uh, independent, objective theme park uh, guidebooks. Like before that, it was like you would get the Disney official guidebook mm -hmm. from Birnbaum and it would tell you exactly what Disney wanted you to think. Yes. And it's not going to tell you that this food is terrible or right. this ride kind of <laughs> stinks. Um, and we were the first ones to like do that and put real research behind it. Um, and it kind of opened the way for this whole, you know, genre of, you know, the people have followed the and it's great. I mean, competition is, is great. And, um, uh, but it, it means that some people are like, well, all this stuff is out there for free on the internet. Why would I want to spend money, uh, on a book? And I think the, the big thing is curation. There yeah. is so much mm -hmm. information out there. It's like a fire hose. And if you, especially if you're a first time Disney person, you haven't been to Disney a long time and you just say, well, I'm just going to Google. Good luck because right. you're going to find tons of information. You're going to tons of contradictory information, yeah. stuff that's outdated, stuff that's maybe was right at some time. But, and, and there's no one place to go to uh, that's going to you know, tell you which is right and which is wrong. Um, it's it's overwhelming. And to be perfectly honest, I find just reading stuff off a screen really fatiguing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so like, you know, uh, to be able to just sit and and hold a book, I know it, that might sound really old fashioned, but I feel like I absorb information better that way. Mm -hmm. And also just being able to flip around, um, you know, look at the index, find exactly what you want uh, instead of spending 20 minutes Googling around to random websites. Um, right. You know, and then obviously, you know, the Internet is still important. And, you know, anything that is printed on dead trees, there's going to be something out of date uh, yeah. inherently. But that's why we maintain our websites at, you know, touring plans and the unofficial guides. Uh, we constantly have our blog posts and uh, updated information to, you know, keep that uh, as current as possible. Yeah. Well, that leads me to my next question, because, uh, you know, this little thing happened called COVID. Um, and, <laughs> really? Hadn't noticed. You know, and, uh. and what's incredible is that you were able to update this guide, you know, with all these different uh, COVID tips. Now, yeah. of course, things are ever changing. They have been for the past year. They will be mm -hmm. for the next year or two. How did how were you able mm -hmm. to go through and, you know, come out with this 20? 21 guide include everything that needs to be known for covid yeah. and then uh obviously i guess this in addition to the website or the ways that people can look as things change you know disney yeah. just said hey if you're standing still for a photo now you can take your mask down mm -hmm. how do you work all that into a printed guide like this and then <laughs> reference to the website and all it yeah so um in terms of print this was definitely a team effort this year um we normally have a schedule where we know, you know, from these months we're, we're in the parks doing research and then we're doing the writing, you know, these months and we know it's got to be finished by this date in order to be in the bookshelves because you want things, you know, in the bookshelves for the Christmas shopping season. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. normally our 2021 book would come out in, uh, you know, late fall or early, uh, you know, November, December around of 2020 so that this year everything kind of with once the shutdown happened uh everything kind of cut put on hold got pushed back but then it meant that once things started reopening uh universal was the first of the major parks to reopen mm -hmm. and it was literally like being there almost every day yeah. re-experiencing every single attraction to see how covid had changed 
uh, crowd flow, had changed the queuing, had changed the pre-shows, um, you know, revisiting every restaurant to see, you know, what's that done to service? What's it done to the food quality? Um, and that was, that was definitely a challenge. And then even, um, you know, as we had a final deadline approaching, it was every single day, uh, there, <laughs> there was something that changed almost every single day. The bane of my existence this year was the <laughs> Hot Dog Hall of Fame. Because um, this is this, uh, it's a quick service restaurant in City Walk, and it's famous for having different hot dogs with different ingredients from ballparks all around the country. And when everything shut down, they went from having 12 different kinds of sausages to having one kind of sausage. <laughs> like we can get Nathan's. That's yeah. what we can do. Nice. Uh, and then it was like every single day, it was a new condiment or a new sausage got brought back in. And I must have rewritten the menu description for that at least 20 times. Uh, and wow. the, I remember the day we sent it off to the printer, uh, the very next day, they changed change it again. <laughs> I'm like, I, I just can't win. So that's where the website comes in. Yeah. yeah. Um, we have a, an errata page on both touringplans.com and the unofficialguides.com. Um, and so I'm in the parks between two and three days a week, just wow. tweeting out updates and changes. Yeah. And all those updates get, get compiled into blog posts on like a weekly basis. And then once a month, we update a page on all the websites telling you, you know, basically on this page of the book, this sentence is changed now. Um, so it's, you know, it, it's definitely a team effort. It takes a lot of people, um, but uh, we really do our, our best to try to stay on top of it. Um, and, you know, the COVID chapter, especially this year, uh, it's the first time we've added a whole chapter devoted to a topic like that. And yeah. I'm very hopeful that I will be able to delete that entire chapter before the 2022 edition comes out. Um, you know, we sort of reached a peak and now we're reaching the point where those social distancing restrictions are kind of coming back down. Yep. Um, and so that's, that's my process now to be able to say, Hey, they're filling every seat now in this attraction or they're, um, you know, running this more often. And, uh, and as that, I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, by the end of this year, the beginning of next year, um, we won't have to worry about uh, most of this stuff anymore. Yeah, well, we're, we're certainly mm -hmm. all hoping for that. Yes. Um, one other thing I wanted to touch on, I think, with the book and especially for people listening that aren't familiar with it, you know, as it compares to a website is for me personally, I enjoy reading it cover to cover. Um, because um, you congratulations because there's 400 something page i don't know how many pages we got this this edition it, it's 300 yeah. 408 um i you know it's a it's designed to be a reference book yeah. it's if you are a first timer you can pick it up read the cover cover we'll guide you through the whole process but you should also if don't feel bad if you flip through it or if you're just looking for something specific i don't i won't feel bad yes. if you don't read it cover yeah. to cover no but if i think it's like both to, ways yeah awesome and and for me i mean i'm we're you know we're trying we do this show and we're trying to to gain knowledge but unlike a website it would be so hard to go into a website without having the most ridiculous amount of bookmarks notes mm -hmm. on where mm -hmm. you left off where you got to mm -hmm. pick back up open tabs whereas yeah. this you can kind of start and, you know, you can earmark it and go up, oh, I'll pick back up, you know, and start reading about restaurants or, or resorts or whatever moving forward. Um, so I really, really uh, enjoy that part of it. Thank you. Yeah. In terms of the structure of it, um, you know, there's the sort of the, the basic uh, outline of the book goes back almost to the very first unofficial guide uh, long before 
um, I got here. And, you know, in addition to Walt Disney World, we cover uh, Disneyland. We cover Las Vegas. We have a Washington, D.C. book. Oh, wow. And every every book in the series kind of covers the same arc, you know, taking from, you know, deciding whether a vacation at Disney is right for you to, you know, where am I going to stay? When am I going to go? How am I going to buy tickets? Um, the one criticism that we get, which I think I think is fair, but you know I think it makes sense if you look at it overall, is that we save the actual theme parks, the the rides and the attractions themselves, until pretty late in the book. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk about hotels and food and all this other stuff before you even get to there. And a lot of people are like, well, you know, the, the book should be about the rides, and there's you know I'm two thirds of the way through and I haven't read anything about rides. Um, but it's you know the the Disney vacation in a lot of way is about a lot more than the rides yeah. um you know you can go and experience rides and roller coasters at any regional theme park near you but it's all of the the resort and amenities the hotels yes. the characters the dining that's kind of what really makes it a disney vacation as opposed to just going to another theme park yeah no completely seth let's talk about your top tips for navigating universal orlando especially for us beginners so the first thing you've got to decide when you're visiting Universal Orlando is, are you going specifically to Universal Orlando or are you trying to integrate Universal into a, a larger Walt Disney World vacation? Okay. Um, a lot of people, they've got very particular Disney hotels that they're attached to, maybe they're DVC or they've got another timeshare and, uh, and you're going to stay there. It is perfectly possible to hop in an Uber or a Lyft get to Universal really easily uh, for a day trip. You can yes. do that. However, um, I really encourage people uh, to stay at least one night on Universal property if you can afford it. One is the convenience. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Walt Disney World, hotels are great, but everyone knows Disney transportation can kind of be uh, a pain. You've got to sort of structure your vacation around which parks are am I most interested in going to and you know, what bus ride is going <laughs> to yes. take an hour out of my day yeah. to, to get to that park. Um, that's why people, you know, stay art of animation. Uh, you've got the Skyliner right there. You know, you would never pay that kind of money for a hotel of the quality of art of animation anywhere else in the world if you didn't have that Skyliner taking you straight to Hollywood Studios. Yeah. Right. Um, Universal, uh, first of all, um, you know, dollar for dollar, Universal hotels tend to be cheaper than the mm -hmm. equivalent Disney hotel. Um, you've got at Universal now Endless Summer Resort. Uh, they've got the, both the dock side and the surf side side. And you can often find uh, rooms there for under 100 bucks a night. Yeah. Um, and the great thing about Universal is even the most distant uh, hotel room, even those dock side rooms that are quote-unquote off-site, the bus ride from there to the main hub is five minutes or less mm -hmm. you know I've, I've timed it and put a video up on our youtube channel it's incredible it's you know it's quicker to get to the from the most remote universal hotel to the parks than it is to go from like the contemporary or the grand floridian which is to the magic kingdom which yeah. is right there um mm -hmm. I compare Universal Orlando most closely to Disneyland Resort because mm -hmm. uh, if you've been there, you know how easy it is to walk from any of those hotels or motels surrounding the park right in. It's the same sort of uh, experience at Universal where you've got a water taxi. Or, uh, it makes um, the whole experience uh, a lot more relaxing when you're not constantly stressing about uh, transportation. Yes. And number two, the top three 
resorts at Universal throw in a perk that I, I don't think anything at Disney comes close to, which is unlimited free express passes. Yeah. Um, this is sort of Universal's version of FastPass, uh, which is currently not available at all at Disney. Mm -hmm. But the difference is that FastPass makes you schedule a particular time for a particular ride. Uh, Express at Universal is used at any time whenever you want. Uh, you want to ride Hulk over and over again all day? <laughs> do it. Go, go for it. Go crazy. Um, and you don't. It, it makes uh, a much more stress-free day when you aren't planning your day around specific times that you have to be in specific places. Uh, and the Express works amazingly well. Um, I, I've seen generally, if the regular wait for a ride is an hour, your express wait is going to be about 15 minutes. Wow. Nice. Um, and that's that's pretty typical. Yeah. And I think with those that we love Dockside, like that's our go to now, mm -hmm. just because a lot of times we'll go down for maybe one night there. Um, and you're Have we, you tried the family suites. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Love the family. That's normally nice what we that. do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice having that uh, bedroom that you can close off. Yes. I really like the picnic table mm -hmm. uh, that you can eat at. Uh, lots of USB ports to plug yeah. in your phones. Really well-designed rooms. Yeah. Well, and we have uh, we have a 10 and 13-year-old girls who mm -hmm. don't always love sharing a bed. Mm -hmm. So the uh -huh. fact that they can each have their own bed has been yes. wonderful. Um, the only time we'll stay in the regular standard room is if we know we're hitting the parks all day, we're getting in the room real late, sure. and leaving early the next morning. Um, but Express Pass, I think, really does come into play, and I'd love to hear your thoughts because, you know, I mean, recently we're looking at, what, $200-plus per person if you buy Express Pass, whereas if you stay at one of these top three-tier hotels, is that normally your recommendation, and what does the math usually it, look it, like compared? Yeah, absolutely. If you are a single person or a couple um, then, and you are looking at one of the, uh, you know, comparing whether you're going to stay at a deluxe resort or one of the cheaper standard rooms. Uh, for a single person or a couple, uh, if it isn't the peak time of year, mm -hmm. you can save money by staying at one of the cheaper rooms and then just buying the express passes individually. Okay. However, if you have three or four people in that room, um, uh, the third and fourth people would have to be kids. Uh, there's a, I believe, a, depending on the hotel level between 15 and a $30 extra fee a night if you're bringing in an extra adult. Yeah. But uh, if you do the math, take Royal Pacific, which is the cheapest of the three upscale hotels, I don't think that there is any time of year where four people getting those express passes isn't cheaper to stay in that room than to stay anywhere else and buy those express passes yeah. outright. It's if if you do the calculation, it's often ridiculous how much money you're saying. Like the hotel room is almost free if you were yeah. going to buy the express wow. passes on a lot of times a year. Um, and uh, I think part of what makes those express passes so great is that it's limited to those three hotels. So it's not like fast pass where sometimes there's more people in the fast pass line than there are in yeah. the standby line. <laughs> right. uh, the express still feels uh, exclusive enough to be worthwhile. Yes. Yeah. What what is the theory behind uh, Universal charging extra for those adults when it's the capacity is technically still the same? Is it just the fact that they can? I mean, because technically, if if Rhonda and I go with our two girls, or Rhonda and I go with right. our two adult friends, it's still four it, people in a room, right? Right. It's it's pretty <laughs> standard in the hotel industry is that it? occupancy okay. rates are based on two adults, uh, two children. Um, you know, generally they justify it as like 
more adults need more cleaning or more uh, service or what I I don't know if that's uh, really true but it's it's pretty standard across the industry and especially at Universal um, uh, the uh, you know if they're throwing in those express passes um, I think it's it's kind of legit if they're charging a little extra for that beyond the first two adults but uh, when you're making your reservation um, when you put in how many people you've got uh, that will be calculated automatically yeah. yes um, the and also keep in mind that uh, in addition to express passes no matter which hotel you stay at at universal property even if it's the cheapest one everyone in that room is now eligible for early park entry yes. uh, and that can really be a benefit especially if you want to like get on hagrid's at islands of adventure um, being there first thing in the morning for that early entry uh, you know, I've been able to do Hagrid's, Forbidden Journey, Hippogriff, and Hulk all in the first hour in the morning using the early entry. Gives you a huge uh, head jump, on, head start on your day. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. And that was my next question. Outside of Express Pass, what are your tips for the shortest wait times on top of attraction on top attractions? And I'm assuming get there <laughs> early. <laughs> um, you know, like any theme park, uh, early bird gets the worm. Awesome. Um, and. Uh, if you're staying at any of the on-site hotels um, or if you are an annual pass holder, uh, certain tiers of annual pass holders on select days, uh, you get to take advantage of early park admission. Um, it's always held at at least one of the parks and at busier times it's at both the parks and it gets you in an hour early to the headliner attractions in the Harry Potter area. Nice. So when uh, Universal Studios opens early, that means Gringotts and Diagon Alley. Um, awesome. And when Islands Adventure opens early, that's Hagrid's and Forbidden Journey. Plus, they usually throw in the Hulk. Um, it's it's not um, you know quite what the extra magic hours were at Disney, which have been discontinued now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, because it, when at Disney, it would pretty much be most of the park or a lot of the headliner rides open it would spread people out more. Universal, it tends to um, concentrate people in the Harry Potter area. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're going to take advantage of it, it's really important to be at the front of the line. Um, if you show up halfway through the early entry hour, you can sometimes see longer waits than you would later in the day. Um, the other big tip, if you're not eligible for early entry uh, at Universal, um, it hasn't come back yet, but I'm have my fingers crossed that by the end of the year single rider lines will come back yeah. okay and uh there's a few attractions at disney with single rider lines but there's lots of them at universal and they're extremely efficient okay um one of the best ways to cut down your weights is you know and it, <clears throat> even if with, you're with family and friends as long as you don't mind sitting in the car next to them as opposed to yeah. you know the same vehicle uh you can wait in single rider line with your family and then split up uh, yeah. at the end um, the opposite of that, something that is operating now, is the child swap rides. Mm -hmm. um, your girls are a little too old to need child swap. Yep. Maybe yep. a few years ago, you uh, would have appreciated that. But if you've got younger, if you've got a family uh, where you've got some kids who are big enough to go on the ride, but others who aren't, nothing can cause like a meltdown more than a, one sibling being allowed to ride and another not. Yep. So um, rather than the rider swap version that they use at Disney where you have to wait outside the attraction, at Universal, everyone waits in line together. And then there's a special designated playroom right at the boarding area where one parent can wait with the kid who's too young. And then you just trade off. 
So nice. it saves you a lot of time in line. Uh, mm -hmm. And it also, some of those boarding areas are better than the rides themselves. <laughs> like Fast and Furious, um, there's this really cool uh, electric slot car game with like little racing cars. And I, I think that's actually more entertaining uh, in the child swap than the Fast and the Furious ride actually is. Yeah, awesome. yeah there's a lot of things that I think are more entertaining than the Fast and the Furious <laughs> ride. Well, that could be a whole nother episode. <laughs> that to totally could. Um, well, well, let's talk a little bit about Hagrid's. Um, you know, if you are, and again, we find a lot of our listeners, this is why I'm, I'm so excited to have you on. And, and we just became pass holders at Universal in June when they reopened mm -hmm. because we were like, hey, we need more content. Disney yeah. is yep. still closed. And so we've really been enjoying it. Um, but of course, we have a lot of listeners that are going, well, maybe they don't want to spend the money at Disney right now, which I feel is still much more limited than Universal. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of making that hop over or they're starting to get more interested in it. Um, we all have been through Rise of the Resistance. We've all <laughs> we all know about there's a million tips and tricks on yeah. how you get a boarding group and where and use this and that and all. Hagrid's is certainly much easier to get in the virtual queue. Um, yeah. But are there any additional tips that maybe you have if you want to make sure that you ride it? And typically yeah. during that early access, is Hagrid still on standby or do they go straight to the queue or is it dependent on capacities that day? Yeah. And what they look so like? um, unlike Disney, it, Disney is all about rules and regulations and they have a policy or procedure for everything. Um, Universal, uh, things are a little looser at Universal, <laughs> which makes it a lot uh, more interesting, shall we say, to cover it. Um, uh, this is the current situation at Hagrid's. When it is a slower time of year, uh, Hagrid's is on standby just like any other attraction, and Hagrid's does not offer Universal Express. Yes. Uh, it's one of the very, very few attractions where there is no Express offered. Um, Hagrid's has actually greatly improved their capacity since opening. Uh, when they first opened, they were lucky to push maybe 1,100 people an hour through. Oh, wow. Now they can re regularly push 17, almost 1,800 people an hour, wow. which is pretty darn good for, mm -hmm. for an e-ticket. So um, on, on a non-holiday, non-spring break period, um, you can often go in and wait uh, 45 minutes or less, which is perfectly acceptable. Yes. Um, if you're there on a day when it is doing standby operations, uh, typically if you're the, you know, in the first few hundred people in the day to line up for it, you'll be right on, right off on with your day. Great. Um, during early entry, it generally starts as walk on standby, uh, and they don't, uh, enforce the virtual boarding system until the queue basically spills out of the entrance once they once they reach the point where they're starting to extend the queue out beyond harry potter that's usually the time where the uh, virtual boarding mm -hmm. kicks in there are uh, so if on days when virtual boarding is being used here's the way to do it number one download the official universal app onto your smartphone the night before uh, get it all set up set up an account you actually don't necessarily need to tie your uh, tickets to the account in the smartphone the way you do with disney um, and every person in your party can download it separately and they all, can all try separately for boarding passes and the way it's set up uh, there's no friends and family system so if you get it and you say i've got a party of five and the next person in your family gets it and says a party of five that means your party of five can go twice yeah that's um, awesome. 
uh, here are a few tips. Number one, um, you don't have to be inside the park. You just have to be on property. So if you're staying at any of the universal hotels or you're, you're pulled into the parking garage or you're walking on city walk, you're good to go to log in. Um, number two, if the park uh, opens at nine, its gates at 9 a.m., then they're usually going to start that virtual boarding if they're going to use it that day uh, about 20 minutes before or 15 minutes before. So um, while you're lined up waiting to get into the park, that's when you can start hitting that. And then once that first wave of them are all gone, and usually they'll be all gone within the first you know, 10, 15 minutes of opening, uh, the later drops during the day, there's usually one at 11, um, I believe two o'clock and four o'clock. It changes occasionally, it's listed in the app. Uh, if you go into the app, you look at virtual lines, if none are available, it will tell you when the next drops come. And it's kind of like uh, Rise of the Resistance. It doesn't go qu quite as fast. Rise of the Resistance usually lasts a couple seconds. <laughs> These usually last a couple minutes. Yeah. Um, but uh, as long as you log in right at one of those times, you should be able to grab one. Um, I've had really good success. And then, you know, worst case scenario, wait till the last hour of the day. Uh, sometimes even if all the boarding passes are gone in that last hour of the day, they'll open it up again to standby. And personally, my favorite time to ride is right at the end of the day because it is gorgeous uh, yeah. after sunset. It's a beautiful oh. ride any time of the day, but it's incredible at night. Yeah, we have not ridden it at night yet. Um, yeah. That's something we certainly want to do. Yeah. D do you see, because I do find it interesting, you know, when we're talking about you don't have to tie family and friends, you technically mm -hmm. could have four people in your party and grab a pass for eight um you you could uh, once you scan it if you if you have say you say i have a party of eight you only show up with four they're going to scan it and that'll take that out that'll so, take it out yes so once you redeem it then it, there are all sorts of quirks in the system so sure. i've had some times where they scanned it and it didn't properly scan and i had to manually remove it in order to get a new one um, but the way it's supposed to work is you show it, they scan the QR code, and then that uh, that can't be used again. Um, you uh, can technically, once you've gotten one, uh, try again for another one later in the day. Um, but honestly, if you if you get in once, uh, you should be happy. <laughs> yeah, I well, I was just going to say, you know, uh, should there be a certain etiquette? Because I think, all right, if we have a family it, it of is four, possible to, uh, we could get four. It. Yes. You could, yes. Uh, with a family of four, uh, you could each get four. And so it's you crazy. could ride four times yeah. during the day. Um, and, you know, it's not against the rules. Um, and, you know, I, personally, like, all right, so I'm only a single, but I've been on it dozens and dozens of times. Yeah. If you're a family of four and this is your only trip and you're not going to be back for 10 years, then, you know, go for it. R yeah. Ride as many times as yeah. you I'm not going to hold it <laughs> against you. Um, and and Universal is the one that sets the rules. And uh, if, you know, if you can use those rules to your advantage, then go for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. One more question about Hagrid's and then we'll kind of move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. As far as the being on property goes, mm -hmm. is that something, is it just a geofence? Like I'm thinking we've stayed at the double tree before that's right Next yeah, to that's City awful Walk. close to property, and I haven't uh, I haven't tried it from okay. there yet. Um, but I have uh, I have been like driving into property, yeah, and uh, been told like you know you're not there yet, yeah. Um, oh, wow. So I I understand it is a geofence done by your GPS, and you have to okay. have location services turned on on your phone. Uh, 
So uh, it would be interesting if someone wanted to walk around the outside of property and try to yeah. map out exactly uh, <laughs> where the line is drawn. Um, but you can rest assured that as long as you're in City Walk, in the parking garage, or at one of the on-site hotels, you should be fine. That sounds sounds like something Lynn would enjoy doing, walking, <laughs> walking oh, yeah. the property. <laughs> yeah, I've I, I have uh, I've done a lot of walking around property. I will say I've done the walk from Dockside to the parks. You know, walking over. Oh I4. wow! Okay. Oh wow! Perfectly doable. Takes about twenty five minutes. Okay. Uh, there's one spot that's a little hairy that you got to cross that doesn't have a, uh, a a crosswalk signal. Yeah. But um, you know, it's it's uh, it's quicker than walking from the Magic Kingdom to the Polynesian along that. New, oh yeah. Uh, walk that walkway. Path, so. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Okay. It's doable. Awesome. Um, Seth, is there any specific dining tips that you have? Ooh, um, well, one dining tip definitely is to download the app again mm -hmm. and take advantage of mobile ordering. Uh, Universal, okay. uh, like Disney, has expanded has expanded mobile ordering to virtually all of their quick service locations, and it's worked really well for me. They even let you use your annual pass discount through yes. that system awesome. now. Uh, yeah, yeah, you you have to scan um, uh, your your barcode uh, using the camera on your phone, um, but uh, I've I've been taking advantage advantage of mobile ordering uh, even before the pandemic. I liked it, but since the pandemic, it's definitely uh, the way to go. Nice. Um, if it's your first time at Universal, you've got to try the Harry Potter food. Uh, mm -hmm. That's in terms of quick service. You know, Leaky Cauldron and Three Broomsticks, I think, are really a cut above. Uh, you know, most theme park food um and everyone has to try a butter beer it's yes. like yes. it should be illegal to go to a universal and not try at least one form of butter beer uh here's my secret regular butter beer it's okay but it's for me it's all about frozen butter mm -hmm. beer if it's if it's a hot day or hot butter beer if it's a cold day mm -hmm. um, and stay away from the butter beer fudge because that stuff is just nasty oh. <laughs> um also look into some of the sit down dining in city walk mm -hmm. uh it can really be great uh you know if you're park hopping or even if you're mm -hmm. just seeing one park for the day but you're staying from open to close um, it can be great to just walk out of city walk for a while um, take mm -hmm. a break from the theme park have a relaxing sit down meal and then head back inside um, i really like vivo um, mm -hmm. big yes. fire Mm -hmm. Antihitos um, and cowfish is uh, some of the combinations are like love it or hate it, uh, but there you can find something at cowfish for pretty much everyone. Yeah. Um, and also, um, finally, the uh, some of the restaurants in the hotels are still closed, but there's some really great dining in the hotels. Um, if you like Italian food, uh, Biche in uh, Portofino. Mm -hmm. Amazing views, uh, amazing uh, preparations, really high quality. Um, and then uh, I, I, you know, I can't wait for Sapphire Falls to reopen. Uh, it's scheduled to reopen, I believe, the very end of May or mm -hmm. the beginning of June, uh, because everyone needs to spend at least one evening hanging out at the uh, Strongwater Tavern that they have at Sapphire Falls amazing tapas amazing rum drinks um Ooh. it's the kind of place where like you would not think it's a theme park um same same with uh there's no word yet one aventura might reopen yeah. but there is a bar 
restaurant on the roof of mm -hmm. Aventura uh, that's got this panoramic view of all of Orlando. Um, great small dishes and craft cocktails. Um, and uh, it's the kind of thing that you're like, this doesn't feel like a theme park resort. This this feels like a nice upscale hotel. Yeah. We, yeah, we had done uh, uh, Bistro 17, right? Yes, what it's called. Exactly. Yeah, we had done that prior way prior to covid. We were mm -hmm. um, on a little staycation at the Doubletree and yeah. we went over one night and it was unbelievable. And then we stayed at Sapphire Falls when they reopened mm -hmm. after the parks reopened. Um, but the tavern, of course, didn't had never opened during that time. And then they right. shut Sapphire right. Falls back down. Well, fingers um, crossed a few yeah. more weeks and we'll be able to have some grog again. Oh, that would awesome. be great. Um, yep. So. A lot of times I know with, with Disney and, of course, with Universal, you start to look at your trip and the uh, price of tickets mm -hmm. compared to an annual pass. Yeah. What are some recommendations as far as Universal goes, whether – like what's the – what's kind of, I guess, the balance between buying day tickets and park hoppers mm -hmm. compared to actually getting an annual pass for your trip? Yeah. So we generally say if you are planning on one trip that is more than five days – or two trips in one year that are more than three days each. Okay. Um, that's usually the break-even point. And it's uh, even lower than that if you are staying on site because Universal offers some really deep discounts uh, for annual pass holders on their uh, hotels. Yeah. And it's actually possible if you're not yet an annual pass holder, you can book a hotel with an annual pass holder rate and as long as you, uh, you know, buy that annual pass before your trip and activate it you know, on the first day of your vacation when you're checking into the hotel, they'll still honor that annual pass holder rate, even if, though you weren't an annual pass holder when you booked it. Um, so, yeah, if you are looking to stay on property, um, even if you're only doing one trip, there are some times where, you know, one person in your family can get that annual pass. Um, and get that lower rate and then the rest of the family just gets single tickets yeah. um, uh, a lot of it depends on if you're a florida resident or if you're out of town um, mm -hmm. for florida residents the rates are so good that it's almost always smarter to go and get and get that annual pass um, okay florida residents there are seasonal discounts where they will at offer things like you know buy two days get two days free um for annual pass holders but those tickets often have fuses where you have to use them all within three months or within th six months you've really got to look at the fine print on those and those also don't include parking uh parking can really add up um oh, wow. the difference between the annual pass where parking is included and the annual pass where parking is not included um, it's worth paying the extra for the parking included pass after only uh, I believe four and a half visits wow okay um, so yeah you've got to kind of factor parking into that uh, if you're driving a car in we've got a whole section in the book that sort of breaks down what are all the factors for how to calculate that but I will say um, you know, I have the top of the line premier annual mm -hmm. pass, mm -hmm. which uh, a lot of the benefits of that we have not had this year. Like, you know, it includes valet parking. Well, there's no valet parking right yeah. now. Right. Um, but when everything is open and operating, that premier pass is a real bargain. If you take it, if nothing else, like premier par uh, uh, valet parking is 50 bucks each time you go. Wow. So I pay for my 
pass in valet parking within a month or so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and things like getting unlimited express every day after 4 p.m. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, times of the year when the parks are open late to like nine or, or 10 o'clock even, you can really uh, take great advantage of those kind of perks. Um, so, yeah, it's it gets a little complicated figuring out, uh, you know, the, the exact uh, what's the best value for you. Um, but you know, five days is usually kind of the rule of thumb, uh, okay. in, in terms of your break even point on those annual passes. Yeah. And for us, you know, the decision where we were there to get the premier pass, cause that's what we, we mm-hmm. opted for as well. That express pass was a major, major part of yep. it. Um, and the Halloween horror nights ticket at the time was going to be mm-hmm. a major part of it. Of course uh, they gave us and Volcano Bay. A, and well, yeah. And we added Volcano Bay as well. Yep. Um, and of course they gave us a trade up with Halloween horror nights this year, but that express pass, like last uh, weekend when we went, we got to dockside Saturday morning, we went and hung out by the pool. We leisurely made our way over to the park. We enjoyed some Mardi Gras food. And then mm-hmm. it was hop, you know, 4 PM ride everything yep. you want until 10 PM. And you can pretty much, you know, we were looking at five and 10 minutes for most everything, walk on doing whatever we want. Um, But, but I always love to see those break even points between daily tickets. You know, I've had a lot of people that come to us and go, yeah, you know, we we were thinking of going to Universal instead of Disney. Wow. Universal is expensive. And that's when you're looking at those daily tickets a lot of times. Yeah. A lot of people, um, they just look straight at the one day to yeah. park ticket. Mm-hmm. A one day park hopper at Universal is crazy expensive because it's, it's almost like just buying two one day tickets, yeah. you know, um, wow. and, you know, a lot of people look at that and they're like, why am I paying all this money just to ride the Hogwarts Express? Right. And it's true. You know, the Hogwarts Express is the only thing that you can't ride unless you have a har- park hopper. Yeah. Um, mm. I will say from our reader surveys, uh, Hogwarts Express is easily in the top five attractions at Universal um, across all age groups. Wow. Um, this is because, surprising. you know, it's it's uh, an emotional experience mm-hmm. uh, for anyone who has watched the Harry Potter movies or mm-hmm. seen the books. Um it's more than, you know, it's not just a monorail. It's not just a train that gets you from one spot to another. It's like a, a chance to experience something that your favorite characters went through. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, you know, it. there's no th- real thrills to it. It's not going to go upside down, um, but it's an incredibly memorable experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's different in both directions. So it's one of those attractions that's got rewritability. Yep. Um, and, you know, the fact that, you know, yes, you do have to buy that park hopper in order to do it uh but a one-day park hopper is really not a um a a good value proposition i generally tell people if you've only got one day to spend at universal um and if you are harry potter obsessed and you have no interest in anything other than harry potter yeah go ahead and buy that one day park hopper just do the harry potter stuff Mm -hmm. you'll get your money's worth absolutely but for 99% of the population, I'd say buy a one day ticket to one park and, ex- you know, experience that park in full and then wait until you can in the future come back and do a two day or three day visit for that park hopper. Um, however, I definitely tell people if you're here more than two days, you know, three days or more, invest in that park hopper because the ease of being able to go between the two parks. Yeah. Um, you know, using early entry at one and then heading over the other park, or especially if you've got Volcano Bay in the mix, uh, and you know, you want to do a few hours of water slides in the morning and then the theme park in the afternoon, uh, 
more than three days, definitely buy that park hopper. It's worth it. What would you recommend the um, amount of days then and potential length of stay? Somebody's not working in Disney World, but they're saying, yeah. you know what? We're going for our first ever trip to Universal. We don't know when we'll be back. What do you recommend the number of days for them to experience as much as they can? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think it is, I think more than five days and you probably are going to get bored. Okay. I think, yeah. I think a, <laughs> if you are really leisurely and I, I know Brits who come in for 14 days yeah. and that, wow. you know, they, they'll do two solid weeks and they're fine. So, you know, there is plenty of stuff to do, especially if you, you know, if you're into bowling and you want to go stay at Cabana Bay and bowl every yeah. day, sure, you could fill it. But the, the average family after five days, they're going to feel they pretty much exhausted what there is yeah. to see there. I think that um, for your first visit where you want to get a taste of everything, I think three days, um, you know, a day for each park and then a third day to see the highlights of, you know, what you liked at both of them. That'll be pretty satisfying. Okay. Um, I think if you threw in the water park, if you're there at a time of year when you like to swim, um, I think you could easily fill up four solid days um, and, and, you know, be satisfied, still feel like, you know, you've left a little bit on the table. So there's something to come back for, but you don't feel like you, you've worn it out. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Seth, do you think there is a best time to visit? Oh, um, <laughs> my personal favorite time, uh, and this is just in general visiting Orlando, um, but specifically for Universal, the very, very end of August through the uh, second week of September. Okay. Um, it still feels summer, mm -hmm. but there's a little bit of the edge starting to take off the heat and humidity. Public schools in Orlando area go back to school in okay. late August. So attendance in the parks uh, from the locals drops okay. seriously. Um, and then the first week of September, most, you know, Northeast is starting to go back to school. Um, so you really have one of the lowest attendance periods. Uh, and um, you're coming in right at the beginning of Halloween. Um, and Halloween is one of my favorite times of year. Awesome. Um, so yeah, my, my perf, my, my personal perfect, uh, time would be to come in, you know, hit that first weekend of Halloween or even like the first, uh, Thursday that they do Halloween, mm -hmm. uh, which is usually a little slower. Nice. Um, and, uh, you know, by the time you hit late September or, you know, even October, Orlando is crazy. Like this, this town is Halloween mad, yeah. Yeah. um, and lines can get crazy at those haunted houses so you know but though that first week or so uh it's pretty special yeah that's awesome are, any other additional uh tips or, or things that you would want you know newbies or first-time visitors to know for sure oh wow um I see it. <laughs> it just opens up such a Pandora's box <laughs> because I could almost write an entire book of about, course um, of course <laughs> no, I, for Universal especially, um, you know, we've got a list in there of recommended movies to catch up on. Um, oh, that's a great idea. Know, uh, because, you know, a, a lot of this stuff, you know, I grew up with, um, but some kids might not be familiar with some of the characters. Correct. Um, you know, I personally, I think every school child should be forced to watch the Brendan Fraser mummy movies when yes. you know, studying the, the history of Egypt or, you know, cause that <laughs> that's very educational. Um, but you know, a lot of kids don't know the mummy movies. So, you know, throw in the mummy movies. Mm -hmm. 
E.T. Like, yeah. you know, it, it should be against the law to not know who E.T. <laughs> is. Yes. But, you know, I, I, you know, a kid's kids born today not might not know who E.T. is. So, you know, watch some of those classics, uh, even even throw in some some Jaws and some Back to the Future, because yeah. there's still some tributes to those attractions yep. in the parks. Uh, and, um, you know, Islands Adventure based on classic literature like uh, Spider-Man comics mm -hmm. and uh, the Jurassic Park books. So, you know. Uh, do a little reading too. Yeah, you, know? that, that's you can a, uh, you can have fun great. prepping for your uh, vacation with a little homework. I, I love it, and, and I can I can tell you I was not a big Harry Potter fan, and the rest of my family was, and I kind of mm -hmm. would catch some of the movies. And we went to Universal for the first time, and I was like, I gotta go watch every last one of these movies. Yep, yep. And, if and if just you weren't a fan already, oh, that place will convert you. It totally, Absolutely. totally will. So, uh, what is your favorite ride in all uh, of Universal Orlando? It's like asking me to pick my favorite child. <laughs> yep, uh, yep. I, you know what? I, I, it changes. You know, there are times uh, I, I became obsessed with Hagrid's uh, when it opened, and I could still go on that over and over again. Yeah. Forbidden Journey, I still, you know, have such clear memories of the first time riding that because that's probably the last ride that I'll ever, ever get to ride that I didn't know what it was going to be before I sat on it. Oh, okay. Um, oh, wow. You know, they kept the the details of that so far under wraps yeah and you know that was kind of uh that was right before i started writing for the unofficial guides and uh and i you know i wasn't quite as in the loop uh on you know secrets and leaks and stuff um, now you know every attraction i've seen the blueprints and the renderings before i get on but forbidden wow. journey that was just magic not knowing what wow but i have to say i keep coming back to it the amazing adventures of spider-man yes. uh, you know to think that that is over 20 years old and there still really is nothing you know i, I guess maybe rise of the resistance kind of took things a step behind, beyond that but spider-man has you know it has the physical thrills it has mm -hmm. the visual you know uh, special effects but it's got heart and personality yeah. and humor and yeah. you know there's still things in there that make me laugh every time i ride it yeah uh and i you know, uh, on the West Coast, it's still Indiana Jones for me. Um, but here in Orlando, Spider-Man's the one where every time I walk into Iowa, I've got to ride Spider-Man. Yeah, I, I don't know that there's another ride that has held up that well mm -hmm. over yeah. that course of time than yeah. Amazing Spider-Man. It's still just unbelievable. What's your favorite resort? Oh, um, I, I've stayed in all the hotels. Uh, I like them each for different reasons, mm -hmm. but... Uh, if you just had to tell me, you've got to back your bags, go to a Universal Hotel tonight. Which one? Cabana Bay. Nice. Okay. I love I love the whole mid-century modern mm -hmm. retro theming. I love that lazy river. Yeah. A, a hotel with its own lazy river. I mean, I can spend half a day with a sippy cup. The fact that they sell sippy cups, adult sippy cups uh, with adult beverages <laughs> that you can sit in lazy river. That's awesome. What what more do you possibly need out of life? Correct. Yeah. I mean, they've got a great game room. They've got that bowling alley, mm -hmm. which is straight out of the Big Lebowski. Mm -hmm. um, they've even got some some pretty good food at that food court. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I'm 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 right there in Cabana Bay. Well, with talking about food, what is your favorite quick service on all of property? Oh. Um, you know, there's there's good stuff all over. Um, you know, I will say Universal had a reputation 
for a lot of mediocre burgers, uh, <laughs> mediocre pizza. Though I'd say Universal's mediocre pizza is still better than Disney's mediocre pizza. <laughs> By leaps and bounds. <laughs> uh, but there is one spot that I think is the most underrated quick service in maybe any theme park, which is Thunder Falls Terrace in Jurassic Park. They have... Um, these uh grilled uh kind of rotisserie chicken they have uh grilled ribs um, they do salads and i personally my wife and i have been uh trying this thing called uh vegan before six where you eat plant-based based food for breakfast and lunch and then you know only eat meat at night okay um, nice. and uh they have uh amazing roast corn and uh a, a vegan rice and beans bowl at oh, cool. uh, Thunder Falls Terrace, totally filling and satisfying. Um, so, yeah, that that is my go-to. Um, it's it's often really overlooked, and uh, I think the ribs are just as good or better than the Harry Potter ribs. Yeah, wow. I ate there two years ago. Um, our thirteen-year-old now was in fifth grade, and that's where they did their field trip. You know, their mm -hmm. their class trip for the year, and so I was chaperoning her and two of her friends, and that's where they chose to eat. And out of what I thought were going to be three very picky eaters, they devoured everything. I remember them just getting platters of chicken and ribs and the corn mm -hmm. and all, and they just devoured it like nothing I've seen. So that was impressive. <laughs> awesome. What is your favorite table service? Oh, um, it is currently closed, uh -uh. but Mama Della's at Ooh. the Portofino. Okay. Um, it's kind of their mid-range restaurant. Like Biche is the really upscale one. Okay. They've got the Trattoria, which is kind of the uh, the family one. Mm -hmm. Mama Della's is designed to be like your Italian grandmother's living room. Ooh. Like everything is really dated floral, oh, you know, wow. wallpaper. Awesome. They used to offer. Uh, free um, shawls and reading glasses. <laughs> I think they discontinued that That's after hilarious. a while. Um, but it's just really like authentic um, home style Italian cooking, um, but just like with really uh, high quality ingredients. And um, I'll never forget that um, we went in there one night and uh, one of my favorite dishes that they used to make was a veal chop. And uh, you know, they had taken the veal chop off the menu. And I just mentioned to my server, oh, boy, I really miss that veal chop. And they're like, just wait a minute. I'll be back. And a few minutes later, they come back and said, okay, we had someone go to another restaurant <gasps> elsewhere on property. And they had a veal chop wow. in their fridge. So we brought it here. And we're going to make it the old recipe just for you. Wow. Like, that kind of service. Yeah. Plus, they have opera singers who stroll around the restaurant singing. I mean... That's awesome. Uh, it's, it's just it's it's uh you know a little cheesy, a little a little old fashioned, but just you know romantic and cozy, uh, and I can't wait for that to reopen again. Yeah, I'm. We'll I'll put that there. at the top of yes. our list then for <laughs> it. Um, I, I love that story though because I think uh, as as people that were such you know Disney fanatics, going you know kind of to the dark side and going mm -hmm. to Universal. One of the things that I think I had always had the impression was is that the the team members weren't going to live up to what cast members are. And we have just been so blown away and impressed by how absolutely wonderful the team members are as well. And it's certainly yeah. a little bit of a, a difference between team members and cast members. But we've been blown away by the service at Universal. And it's not what I expected going into it. 
It's one of my favorite uh, lines in any show uh, in a theme park is it the horror makeup show at uh, Universal. Uh, one of the lines is, uh, this isn't Disney. I don't have to be nice to you. <gasps> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, which is, but the truth is that they are nice to you. Yes. Yes. Uh, but it's a different kind of nice. Yeah. Like yep. Disney pixie dust is, it's a very, you know, um, very particular kind of, smile you know everything is is very kind of scripted and very formal mm -hmm. um and it's a little plastic and sometimes you get the feeling that it's a little artificial mm -hmm. um the people the the uh, as you say team members as opposed to cast members at universal uh first of all there's a lot of crossover you yeah. know there's a lot of people who work part-time at, at multiple places around town um, and or you know people who work at one for a few years and then go over to the other. Sure. Um, but in general, I find uh, universal um, universal team members are sometimes a little bit more authentic. They can be a little saucier sometimes. Yeah. You know, they'll sometimes a little sarcastic. But they're also they really like their jobs, um, and especially you know since Universal was the first to reopen. Um, yeah. uh, you know, Disney out of their 800 uh, union um, entertainers, uh, all but about 20 of them ha are out of work. Yeah. Whereas Universal brought back the majority of their uh, of their entertainment staff. Uh, you know, I think especially you know since the pandemic reopening, they're just really grateful to have yeah. jobs and to you know be out in public and interacting with people. And uh, that gratitude, I think, has really come through uh, in high quality customer service. Um, I know Universal in one of their uh, quarterly financial reports, you know, they said that their guest satisfaction ratings have been higher since the reopening than, than they ever were before wow. the pandemic. Um, and I think that is, you know, people that recognize that we can't offer everything, you know, we can't hug the characters and we can't have the parades but we can't what we can do is offer really high quality customer service and and you know really interact with people in an honest and open way and i think i think people are responding to that yeah well i mean i think that's a, a perfect way to to wrap up this wonderful conversation um but before we do please let everyone know where they can find you mm -hmm. touring plans the unofficial guide anything yes. you want to throw out there and promote from websites to social media uh have at it Please, yeah, you can find me uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, my personal handle is at skuberski. That's S-K-U-B-E-R-S-K-Y. But I'm also out there for the unofficial guides at the UG series. Uh, and uh, most importantly, if you want to pick up your own copy of the unofficial guide, uh, to Universal Orlando 2021. Um, that is available at theunofficialguides.com, uh, along with all of our other books, updates on the books, our blog, everything you need to keep up to date with what's going on in the parks. Yeah, well, thank you so much for, for coming on, Seth. And we highly uh, recommend everyone follows you and, and the unofficial guides. We've been huge fans of, of touring plans for mm -hmm. so many years. Um, so it's so nice to finally get a chance to connect with you after following you for many years. Uh, so again, thank you so much for your time, Seth. I, I really appreciate it. This has been a great conversation. And I would love to come back because uh, there's always new stuff at Universal that we can talk about. We will definitely make sure we have you back on Absolutely. again soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us today. We hope that you loved this episode as much as we did. And if you have not already subscribed to Main Street Magic, would you please do so right now? 
And as long as you're out there, you might as well leave us a rating and review. Because it helps our show grow. That's all we've got. We'll see you real soon. Most everyone's mad here. <laughs>